Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we're talking about how to think about tax-deferred accounts if you are a business owner. Now, we're going to talk about why you should think twice before using them. And also, we're going to bring out the circumstances when it could actually be beneficial or benefit you in helping you achieve your goals. So we're your host, Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. Good morning and welcome, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. It's, it's funny that, you know, the few things um, actually drive people's passion. One is politics, one is religion, and then I feel like tax deferral is another one. So, <laughs> so, so I think maybe we're going to be uh, capturing some people's attention right away in this podcast. Oh, tax deferral, that's great. And other, other people are going to go, tax deferral? Oh, you guys have the wool being pulled over your eyes. So this will be this should be a fun podcast. Absolutely. Well, I thought you were going with the three taboo things you're never supposed oh, to talk about religion, sex and politics. I was like, we're not going to talk about those <laughs> on the show today. So tax deferral is <laughs> what we're talking about instead. So um, yes, let's set the stage. So the typical, there's a typical way of thinking a typical strategy. And again, we'll, we'll separate what typical versus traditional is, but a lot of people are really excited about deferring tax specifically with something called qualified plans. We're going to parse this all out and make all of it make sense and unpack in a second. But here's the questions we're going to answer today. When is it a terrible idea for business owners? And when might it actually be a good idea? Now, we're going to talk about what is tax deferral? What are the underlying assumptions that make this advice so widespread and common? Why should I pay tax now versus when should I defer tax? And really the most important questions that you need to have in the back of your mind in deciding whether or not to use a tax deferral vehicle or a tax deferred account. Now, Bruce, I know you are um, almost famous for saying this, and you always say there's no bad products, just bad strategies. And so we're going to talk about that today as well. And really, our goal is to help you gain clarity and find those strategies that are most aligned with your value system and help you accomplish your goals the best way possible. So again, where does this fit in the cash flow system? It's just one part of a bigger journey. So in the cash flow system, first you have a foundation where you're keeping as much of your money as possible and increasing your profit. Then you're protecting that wealth. And finally, you're figuring out a way to get your money working for you, producing cash flow and making more so that you can accomplish time and money freedom. Now, when we're talking about tax deferral, we're discussing the investing step in stage three. So that's where we turn your money into more. So for most business owners, you are wanting control and having investments that align with your value system that are helping you create cash flow. And you're wanting to be an active investor, investing in the things that you know and control. Now, there's another type of investing that is much more common, especially for employees. And this is the qualified plan. And we're going to talk about what's attractive about that and does it make sense for you as a business owner. So, Bruce, big exciting, fun topic today. So what exactly is tax deferral? Let's talk about that well, first. Well, in the simple definition, is simply taking the tax that you would have paid today and throwing it out into the future to pay the taxes sometime in the future, depending on when you decide to take it out between 59 and a half 
and 70 and a half because you cannot choose to, to defer it any further than 70 and a half, or at least a portion of it at 70 and a half. The, right. Uh, and it's called the required yeah. minimum distribution. There is a, there is an act uh, in Congress right now. It's called the secure act that uh, they're considering changing the RMDs out to 75. Um, but what's interesting about oh, that, they also want to take then away the stretch IRA. It's, you know, in government, it's always a give and take. Well, at least it should be a give and take. Um, but currently under tax deferral, if somebody dies, um, well, let's, let's back up so that everybody understands this. Tax deferral is under your particular social security number. So if you choose to, de to defer taxes into the future, that, that particular money has to remain with your social security number. This is a kind of an important concept because when I sit down with new clients all the time, uh, I ask them the, the three types of money they have, taxable, tax deferred, and tax exempt. And oftentimes when we get to the tax mm -hmm. deferral column, the, a person will say to me, well, we have an IRA in my wife and my name. It's a joint IRA. And I'm like, uh, with all due respect, that's impossible. And the reason it is impossible is the government has to tie your particular age to be able to decide whether you can take the money out at 59 and a half without penalty and when to start the required minimum distributions at 70 and a half. So if you ever hear somebody say, well, it's a joint IRA or a joint 401k or a joint tax deferred annuity or a joint 403, that's just an impossibility because you cannot co-mingle um, social security numbers because people obviously aren't the same age when they're spouses. Uh, most of the time. So that's a really important. Right. Concept. Right. So what is it that they mean? What is it that they mean instead of joint? Uh, because isn't there a joint survivorship or something like that? Well, that, that's exactly where I was going. So what they actually, what they mean is that they actually have a joint account, but it's actually with after-tax money. Okay. And it, is, it, it can grow tax-deferred. The capital gains can grow tax-deferred, or it can be an after-tax, um, what they call non-qualified. Uh, and maybe we ought, to, we ought to talk about those definitions yeah. right now, yeah. too. Tax-deferred. If you talk about tax deferral, you talk about qualified money. That's the same yeah. thing. So first of all, so tax deferred, yeah. just to kind of put a bow on that piece, that is, I don't pay tax on this particular parcel of my income today, and I will defer or push out that taxation into the future. Another word would be postpone. That is probably a more accurate de definition. You're kicking the can of the taxation on that particular money into the future, which means today I don't pay tax on that money. And that's usually the main attraction. Hey, I don't pay tax today on that money, but we do want to remind you that you will pay tax in the future. So these are usually inside of qualified plans. So you want to talk about what qualified plans are? Yeah, so qualified plans, examples of qualified plans would be a, um, a SEP IRA for a business owner, a simple IRA for a business owner, a IRA, um, a 401k, a 403b, a 457, a or a tax deferred annuity, and there are a couple of other like really uh, sparse plans too, but we won't comment on those. And th those are often referred to as qualified plans. Non-qualified plans would be things that are 
you've already paid the taxes on it, but any growth, you're actually deferring the taxes into the future. And we're not going to necessarily focus on those right now, but I want people to understand the difference between qualified money and non-qualified money. Qualified money, you definitely need to take it out at a, at a point of 70 and a half, and you cannot take it out before 59 and a half. But if you have non-qualified money, you're def deferring the growth uh, into the future, and there is no requirement to take it out at 70 and a half, although you're still deferring the growth. Which I think is a now really the important distinction, even just what you were saying there with non-qualified versus qualified, because with the qualified money, you're not only deferring the tax on the portion that you put into the plan, you're also deferring the tax on the growth portion of that. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more, but if you put $6,000 into a qualified plan today and that grows at a rate of return and say it turns into $10,000 tomorrow or in in the time frame that you're going to pull that money out, the taxes that you deferred on $6,000 are now going to be taxes that you pay on $10,000 in the future. You don't just pay the tax on the portion you put the money in. You're growing your money alongside what the IRS is growing their money inside of your account. And again, I'll unpack that a little bit more fully later, but I just wanted to put that distinction on qualified versus non-qualified. Right. And, and to use your same example, if you put money into a non-qualified account, so the 6,000 you've already paid taxes on, and then it grows to 4,000, you pay taxes on the 4,000. Now, how does the IRS determine? Um, they actually determine that you have to pay the taxes on the 4,000 first before you can get to the 6,000 in most cases. Oh, Good, so, good distinction. Yeah, and you know, Rachel, the thing that you said earlier, I think, is is worth repeating. Tax deferral is another word for that is post postponing the taxes, because I don't know how many times over my career people uh, have done tax deferral, and they they really thought that they were putting money into a place where they were never going to have to pay taxes. That's and, the key, right there. That's yes. the key. They think, yeah. hey, I'm just not going to have to pay tax on this money. Keep going. Yeah, then all of a sudden, you know, they they want to take some money out. And what I found over the years is that people don't want to take the money out because they don't want to pay taxes. So they live, they don't live uh, the life that they love because they're afraid to take the money out to pay taxes. And, right. it, make, and it makes sense um, emotionally for a lot of people. Oh, no, no, I, I'll just keep it for, I just want to give it to my kids. Well, this is where I was going originally when I started explaining this is, so the taxes, the deferred taxes are with your social security number. Now, there is a special exemption. It's called a, it's called a spousal uh, inherited IRA. So if, you're, if you die, your spouse inherits your IRA. Now they get to change it into their tax ID so that they can then take it out at their age. Now there is once again there's an exception to everything. Um, if your if your spouse is more than ten years younger than you, then it actually is not a spousal IRA. It's an inherited IRA. Now what's an inherited IRA? Oh. An inherited IRA is if it goes to the next generation or somebody else. So when that happens, then you have to take the money out under different tax laws but you have to actually continue to take the money out just like it was the required minimum distributions of the person uh, of the person's social security number. So you don't get to, 
let's let me use an example. So let's say a person is 70 and a half and they're taking money out of a tax deferred situation. They die and it goes to a child that's 50. Well, you would think, well, that child now is 50. They don't have to take any money out till 70 and a half. But that's not the way it works. They have to start taking the money out immediately based upon oh. either how the accountant sets it up, based upon either the person that dies age or they can stretch it and actually take it out over their life expectancy, but they still have to take money out immediately. Now, this is also part of the SECURE Act where they are going to, they are proposing they're going to change the the required minimum distribution age is 75, but now they're saying that you can no longer stretch inherited IRAs. So it seems like they're they're going to get less taxes, but they're actually going to get more because they're going to make young people take the money out either immediately, depending on how the it gets passed, or they can only stretch it over five years. So, and presumably, if that young person is still working, exactly. their income is going to be higher, pushing them into a higher tax bracket, meaning that they're going to actually pay more tax. Is that where you're going exactly, with that? Exactly. You, you got it exactly. And uh, so interesting. So, you know, I, it, it's it's the whole thing. There's no such thing as a free lunch. You know, or a Congress continues to um, continues to spend money. It's kind of now we're going to get political here a little bit, or at least I am. You know, we're at we're get, we're getting close to twenty two trillion dollars of debt, which mm-hmm. would really equate to as high as seven hundred and seventy four thousand dollars per person um, of a taxpaying ability. So we are actually spending money. Congress is spending money that's going to have to be paid back by taxes on children that aren't even born born yet. So we're not even talking about current people that aren't of voting age net yet to vote these people out, but actually on unborn people into the future. Mm-hmm. I think it's immoral how they're doing it. Um, so I think oh, yeah. eventually it's going to, the uh, the cows are going to come home, as they say, and we're going to have to actually raise these tax brackets to pay for some of our, our spending if we continue to spend for that. So that actually speaks I think this, to, yeah. to the next thing, whether, yeah, whether that, you should. Go yeah, ahead, you should tax defer. So let's go ahead and, and talk about that. Yeah, well, I think there's just a lot of pieces that you brought in. So one was this whole idea of um, potentially being in a higher tax bracket in the future. Um, And then you're talking about the government situation and what taxes look like going forward. And so one thing I just want to point out here is if you are the position in the position like me, where you say, well, I want to be in as much control as possible. And I want to have my money accessible to go ahead and invest in real estate and go ahead and invest in cash flowing assets. I want access to my money. So if you have maybe in the past or are today putting your money into qualified plans, and then you say, well, now I want to be able to use that money to somehow go invest in real estate, you're going to have a little bit of a challenge doing that because of those taxes and the penalties, the access, you're not having access to all of that capital either. And so there's a little bit of a disconnect or a, um, a cognitive dissonance that will happen when you're trying to do two things. And as, as we talked about in a, a previous podcast, have one foot in both worlds. And so 
that is a little bit challenging. Whereas if you say, well, I want to have as much control as possible. I don't want my money to drop in value. I don't want it connected to the stock market. I want to make sure that if I put my money somewhere, it's going to hold that value. And I want to be able to use it to invest in cash flowing assets that I know are going to be a baseline, I don't know, 100,000 a piece or 20,000 that I can put into a rental property and be able to purchase that. Then I know that I want my money accessible. I want it guaranteed. And I want to have a position where I can use that capital. So in that case, qualified plans might not be an ideal holding tank for that money. But then as you're talking about kind of going forward into what our taxes going to be in the future, the, the real thing is nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody knows exactly what the tax situation will be in the future. And what's really interesting is not only can the tax brackets change, or the tax rates, the tax brackets can change, the tax thresholds can change, which all of this, Bruce, you kind of painted a, a picture of leading up to the fact that I don't know one single person I've ever talked to in my entire history of working in finance, and I don't know about you either, Bruce, but nobody has ever said, yeah, yeah, I think taxes are going down. Yeah. In the future, oh, no, it's, it's, it's the whole. great majority. I have heard people say that, and I think sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a hopeful thought. Um, and then people point towards... Right. You know, President Trump's recent um, Tax and Jobs Act, where they did go down, um, but they didn't go down for everybody. Um, and we can we can dig into that mm -hmm. some other time. But I, I do believe that people don't understand how the tax brackets work. And I think that's where we kind of probably wanted to go right now, because when, what happens is people, yeah, the sure, reason people ahead. tax defer, Rachel, they always say you're going to, you're a high tax bracket while you're working, excuse me, but you're going to be in a lower tax bracket when you retire. Now that could be a, yes. that's a good, yes, that, yes. Prevailing and that, people sentiment, almost I would say, say that verbatim all the time. Now that, that is right. Well, I just, but I just I like to point out a few that. things here for people. <laughs> so if you uh, think, and I always tell people when they say that to me, potential clients or clients, when they say that to me, I and I say, how do you know? And they say, and then they look at me like a deer in the headlights, mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, I, well, I, that's that's just what I heard. And I said, well, that's why we ask you to bring your tax return in because we want to show you where you are. So I just like to give an example mm -hmm. here. So let's say that a, a business owner, let's just say a business owner or a W two employee makes less than $168,000 a year. They're going to be in the 22% tax bracket, okay? Now, in order to go down into the 12% tax bracket, they would have to then drop their income in retirement from 168 to below 78,950. So that's $90,000. I ask people all the time. Now, $90,000, would you like your retirement to be dependent upon $90,000 less per year? And when you do the math on that, that is $7,500 less a month to spend. And people would, people say to me all the time, well, no, I, I won't retire then if I have to live on that much less. I said, well, I just, you're in a higher tax bracket and you're gonna, that's the only way you can retire to a lower tax bracket is to get to make $90,000 less. Mm -hmm. and, it, it, and it hits them. They're like, well, well right. I, want to, I want to make like 125. I'm setting up with, with my accounts to make 125,000 in retirement. I said, so I am going down, right? I'm going from 168 to one, 
25. I said, yes, you're going down, but you're in the same tax bracket. Right. <laughs> so, right. Because there's a range of tax of income that falls within the same bracket. And if you're not changing brackets, you're still taxed at the same rate. Now let's take it even a step further. Let's say you're only in the um, 22 tax. Let's say you make a hundred thousand dollars. So you're in the 22,000 tax bracket by about $21,000 and you do go down to 77,000. So now you go from, you go from 24,000, I'm sorry, 24% down to 22%, but you're only in it by 1%. So you've only, I'm sorry, by 1,000. I'm sorry, this is hard to actually paint a picture in a podcast. Yeah, and it is. And we'll make sure that we have the marginal tax brackets in the show notes just for your reference, because I know we're throwing out a ton of numbers right now. And if you're not looking at them, it might make no sense at all. So we'll have those um, top and bottom of each taxable bracket in 2019. Yeah, so my point is, you, yeah, okay, let's say a person says they go from 100 to 77 and they go down a tax bracket. They only go down 2% because from 24 to 22, they only go down 2% on $21,000. So they're saving 2% on $21,000. So they're only saving approximately $4,000. I'm sorry, $400 on that mm-hmm. uh, that going down a tax bracket. So is it worth tax deferring money for the, your entire life that you can't just to save $400? Could you have made more money outside of that, put it someplace where you don't have to pay taxes in the future, you control it when you take it when you take it out. Maybe you take it out before fifty nine and a half to use something else. Maybe you take it out, or you pass it on to your your next generation, and they don't have to pay taxes on it. So all right. this analysis has to be done. I would like to get this general uh, this general phrase of I'm going to be in a higher tax bracket when I retire, or a lower tax bracket when I retire, out of people's vernacular. Because oh, I would like to wipe it off the mainstream yeah. in general. I mean, you go ahead because I I have my own reasons as well. I have used this. I mean, people have used this over and over and over. And although it does right. happen, and that's where we'll eventually go to that um, in this mm-hmm. podcast. And although it does happen, you can't just say it. You have to analyze it, and, and right. that is why we we require that people give us your tax return. And do some long-range project projections are called pro formas to see if you actually will be in a lower tax bracket. In fact, even if you're in a lower tax bracket, does it outweigh the lack of control that you're giving up into your future? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what's just really interesting is again, kind of stepping way back from this part of the conversation. If you want to retire is something that we you first have to even address. Do I want to retire? Do I want to step out of the work? space, especially if I'm building a business, is that even the right decision for me? So that's something we'll address in another show. Then the next question is, am I going to build up this pile of capital and accumulate and then live off that, which is probably something that you may not even want to be doing in the first place. You might be wanting to build cash flowing assets. And if you do, don't you want to be more successful in the future than you are today? I mean, that's kind of the goal of every single business owner to be able to create this life and this business that has plenty, sufficient money, way more than you currently make so that you can do all the things that you've always dreamed of doing. And you're creating that lifestyle. 
And that's going to put you in a higher income situation. And not to mention, you're probably not going to have the tax breaks for the kids and the mortgage interest that you possibly are writing off right now. And so I think just in general, if you look at that whole idea that you're going to automatically retire in a lower tax bracket, I think there's just so many holes in that argument that we really, really need Absolutely. to think that through. So as, as we talk about, <clears throat> we've already talked about this, about the future and tax brackets. Um, I think it's great that um, we wanted to bring out about wars and the national debt. Uh, we don't. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about that for a second. Yeah, so what's so what's really, really interesting, I, I'm going to go back to a point that I made a little bit earlier. If, and this came into, Bruce, when you're talking about qualified versus non-qualified plans, if you just, let's say you're putting aside $15,000 a year over 30 years, and that's a total of $450,000. So bear with me for a second. If you were in the 30% tax bracket, that would be $135 of taxes that you would owe on that money that you're pushing out to the future. So now imagine your money's growing at 6% return overall. That account would then grow to about 1.2 million. I'm rounding the numbers here. But how much do you think you would owe then if you deferred in a 30% tax bracket and now you're paying tax and you're still in a 30% tax bracket? You're not just going to owe the 135 that you didn't pay er earlier. Like, you're going to owe- I'm sorry. You said $135. You meant $135,000. Yeah. I want to make sure we're clear on that with everyone. Thank you. You're not just going to owe the $135,000 that you didn't pay in taxes earlier you're going to now owe 30% of your total balance in the future, which means that's $360,000 of taxes that you'll pay in the future. So the reason is that the IRS has seen their money grow right alongside of yours. If you look at your account balance, whatever that number says, that does not all belong to you. And I think that's the biggest misnomer when anyone looks at qualified plans. They think, oh, that 1.2 million, that's how much I have. It's really not because you need to subtract out the tax that you're going to pay in the future. So this then leads us into the next idea that, okay, well, if I defer in a low tax bracket, or if I defer in a high tax bracket, and I take out in a low tax bracket, yes, essentially that does work out. You're in a position where you are winning over the government. If you are looking at, I'm in a partnership or, or a profit sharing plan almost with them, and who's going to come out better in the long run? If I don't pay tax today, I'm in a high tax bracket. In the future, I'm in a low tax bracket. Yes, I've won. But however, we're just talking about, well, you're probably going to be in a higher tax bracket, which means you're going to owe more on that money. And you're losing if you defer in a low tax bracket today and you take out in a higher tax bracket. So then that brings us to this whole idea of what are taxes going to do in the future. And Bruce, as you mentioned, there's just been some really, really interesting stuff. There's a chart um, that we're obviously not able to share because we're on a podcast right now. But um, there is, if you look at the history of taxes and the highest tax, highest tax rates, excuse me, in the land since the history of income taxes, you'll find something really interesting. First, income taxes with the federal government started in 1913 when the Federal Reserve was initiated. And then if you look at over time what the highest brackets have been, right now, we're in some of the lowest time frame or the lowest brackets and rates of all time since 1913. What's interesting is if you look at the highest rates in about 1918, around World War One, the highest tax rate was 77%. I mean, that's astronomical compared to what our highest tax rate is now at 
37%. And then if you look at it came down a little bit, then World War II in 1944, it was up to 94% of income, 94% tax rate. Then the highest tax rate was 92% in 1953 around the Korean War timeframe. Then you look at the Vietnam War, 77% in 1969. So then we're kind of progressing forward. And so you have all this chunk of time with really, really high tax rates. And then now the qualified plan was initiated in 76, which I know, Bruce, you've brought up before on the show. And in that time frame, the highest tax rates were 70%. And now we're looking at since about 1980, they've been much lower since about the Reagan administration timeframe. And since then, we've seen more in the ballpark of what we are at about right now in the 30s range. And so you could say we're in some of the lowest tax rate history of taxes in the United States. And what does that mean? Well, if you defer in a high tax rate, then and take out a low tax rate, you're going to win. If you defer taxes when qualified plans started in 1976, that was a really high tax rate environment. And deferring taxes to now, sure, yes, you have gone down in tax rate more than likely. And so you're in a position where tax rates are lower. But if we think right now the rates are some of the lowest they've been, the only place they have really to go is up. And if they continue to go up and we're deferring today in a lower tax environment and deferring out to the future with a higher tax environment, that's just a recipe for, I, I don't want to say disaster because that's sounds sounding a little bit um, catastrophic, but that's really a recipe to be handing over way too much money and too much control that you could have kept in your control. Yeah, I guess we should have we should have done our normal disclosures at the at the very beginning of this podcast and said and say you know neither one of us are CPAs, neither one of us are accountants. I do work closely with CPAs and accountants. We talk about this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anything we talk about today, you need to talk to your own tax professionals oh, about this. One of the things that uh, spurred me saying this is tax rates don't tell the whole story. Right. Because, because they all, you also can, it's all about taxable income. So like in um, uh, earlier, the, when they changed the taxes in 1986, there was a lot more things that could be used as deductions. So even though the tax rates were higher, you got many more deductions at that time. Tax credits are different than tax deductions. All these things affect mm-hmm. uh, when you're making decisions on what you're going to do for something. But to postpone your taxes in the future definitely has to be analyzed and Rachel, you, I think you were pointing out these different tax, top tax rates, and, and they corresponded to different wars we've had. Um, I was just listening to, uh, on, the, on the news the other night, President Trump saying he's not doing any peace talks with Afghanistan uh, for a variety of reasons, and we won't get into that. But what I found shocking, we've been in, in, in war with Afghanistan for 18 years, and we've spent $2 trillion on the war with Afghanistan. Now, that doesn't even count uh, ramping up our military and our military expenditure, our capital expenditures uh, during that time period. Mm-hmm. So we have not. And we've, we've ramped, go ahead. We've I, I know where you're going. And we've lowered tax rates. <laughs> so. Yeah, we have not increased the tax rates commensurate with a lot of the most recent wars with Iraq and Iran, Afghanistan, like all of those. And so as we look at that, 
where is that money going to come from? I mean, the government doesn't have any other source of income yeah. besides taxes. We can, we might have to have Bob Murphy on the show again um, because you know, this new uh, modern monetary theory is saying that, you know, debt's okay. You know, we can just throw debt out into the future and the United States is never going to not pay their debt because they'll just print more money. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things. We won't, we won't go into that right now, but it, it's funny. I think yeah. we're, we're, we're talking about so many different things and, and that's why, and I think that's okay yeah. because when you're talking about money, you cannot look at everything in a vacuum. That's what drives me crazy all the time. You know, people come to me and they mm -hmm. say, so what do you think the stock market's going to do? And I'll say, I have no idea. Why do you ask? And they say, well, I'm worried about my money. Well, what are you worried about your money? Well, I want my money to grow, don't I? And I say, I don't know. Have you ever thought about uh, getting your money into cash flowing assets and then you don't have to worry about your money growing? You can actually just worry about what the distribution rates are. So, I mean, everything we do uh, in our lives is about, you know, money. So when we're talking about tax deferral, uh, it's not as black and white as just to say, oh, let's just uh, postpone our taxes into the future. So the other thing that we want to look at then is none of us have a crystal ball. I mean, we really don't know what the future looks like. And Bruce, I really appreciate you bringing out that idea that the tax rate doesn't tell the whole story. There's so much more to the situation for your specific tax environment. And the other thing I, I want to point out here is that there's not just one marker that can be changed. Yes, tax law can be changed. Deductions can be changed. The way that they, um, not just the tax rates, but the brackets. And then what's just really interesting is that they can even change the threshold where, um, for instance, this is really, it was actually really concerning to me. But if you look at, for instance, in 1941, which this was way far back, and this was a super, super high income, but you had to make $5 million a year in order to be in the highest tax bracket. In the very next year, they changed that threshold to make everyone who pay, who earned yep. more than $200,000 be in that highest tax bracket. And so what's just interesting about that whole thing that I even, the, even the reason I point that out is we don't know what the future of taxes will look like. And we don't have a lot of control over where we'll land with taxes. And so if everybody has money in tax deferred accounts, then, and the government is waiting to recover what they're due, how secure is that money for you who wants to be in financial control? And so if you don't know how much you're going to pay in tax, you don't know what that value of the account is going to do just in terms of being connected to the stock market and, and rising and falling with the stock market, you just don't really have the, the control over the value of those accounts the way that you'd like. So now that we've established the, the different reasons why people look at tax deferral as being a really good thing, and we're saying that you really have to evaluate your situation, let's talk about um, some things where it might actually be uh, a good thing to tax defer money. Now, you and I both believe that, that control is the most important thing in our lives, not only about our money, but just about our time, freedom, uh, anything in, that we we can uh, control, the decisions we make, so on and so forth. Um, that's what a free society is. But let's say that we don't, or we do run into people, business owners that say, guys, I understand what you're saying. I understand that you want to maintain control of your capital so that you can deploy it on opportunities, that you can 
make decisions based upon the freedom to make the decision rather than you have to make a decision right now. So, but there are people that are really, really well capitalized in their business and they're getting compensated really, really well. So like right now for 2019, Mm -hmm. the the married filing jointly returns are over $612,000 and many business owners, um, that have taken the risk, they enjoy incomes of over $612,000 or a 37% tax rate. And then I run into them and say, hey, you know, one of the reasons we're successful is my wife and I, um, we don't spend extravagant amounts of money. Now, some people would say, what, what does that mean to them? When they, and they would say to me, well, we don't really spend more than about $200,000 a year. Now, a lot of people would say that's still a lot of money, but the fact of the matter is, is that for a, a successful business owner, that's not a lot of money. And they said, so in retirement, we're actually going to probably only spend about $200,000 a year. So if we look at the the tax returns, um, I'm sorry, their future tax returns, then they would go from paying currently paying $37,000 down to only paying, uh, I'm sorry, 37%, down to only paying 24%. So they would be saving 13%. Now, in that case, and if they really feel like they can give up control, I can see where somebody would make the argument that, no, I'm going to go ahead and tax defer money into the future and give up control. There's only a unique, yeah, there's only a unique few people, percentage people mm-hmm. that are like sure. that, though. And I'm not saying that um, everybody should consider that, even if they're in that higher tax bracket. But the, the fact of the matter is, uh, you it just proves that you have to do the analysis so that you can determine what your current tax situation is and then attempt, at least attempt, to project what you will be in as far as tax brackets in the future and how much your total tax will be. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying is do the analysis. Don't just spit out, oh, I'm in a high tax bracket now and I'm going to be a lower tax bracket. Absolutely. And Bruce, you made a really good point when we were talking the other day about this exact subject, that if you're in the high tax bracket, the highest tax bracket right now, but maybe you're making eight, nine hundred thousand a year and you expect, well, in the future, I'm going to be lower income than today, but you're still going to be in that same highest tax bracket. You're not dropping a tax bracket. You're still in that same over, what was it? 612,000. You're not doing yourself any favors to say, well, I'm going to defer because even though you'll have a lower income, you're not going to be in a lower bracket. So really just uh, a full, we're, we're hoping today to bring to you just really a full spectrum of thinking about this tax deferral situation, really not just from a one-sided perspective, but really thinking about it from every angle and really making sure that you put yourself in the best position. So I would say then there's several most important questions you would want to ask yourself in deciding whether or not to use tax deferral. And one of them is, Do you want to have control and guarantees and access to be able to use your money? That's really the first question that you need to ask yourself. And if the answer is yes, absolutely, then maybe putting your money in tax deferral, or I wouldn't say maybe, but putting your money in tax deferred accounts that are locking your money up is probably not the best idea for you. Um, Also then, if you're an established business owner, what returns do you think you'll be able to get in the market versus what returns can you get in your business? And and Bruce, I know that you've shared this probably on half a dozen podcasts 
Um, but for the most part, if you have an established business and you know what your profit margins are and you know what you can, um, what returns you can get by putting capital into your business, why wouldn't you use that as the number one tool for you to be able to generate better returns and cash flow? What's interesting, Rachel, is um, I was just having a, this same conversation with a business owner yesterday, and I said, and he said, well, I want to have money put away for my retirement so that I can retire. And I said, well, what are you going to do with your business? And he said, well, I'm going to sell my business also, and that's going to be part of it. And I said, well, do you know how they determine the valuation of your business? And he said, yes, that what they do is they take the revenue that's produced and they come up with a multiplier. And that's and that's what a business valuation generally does. They say, OK, you, you produce 200000 a year. So we're going to come up with a multiplier and I and it's not set for every industry. Every industry is different. It could be a, a one a one times multiplier. It can be a, a two times or three times or four times. And I said to him, well, then wouldn't it make some sense to keep the money in the business to grow your revenue even greater so that you could get right. that multiplier? Uh, so you can actually like maybe multiply that by two times rather than keeping it over here in, in a tax deferred situation and hope to and hope to grow it by five times and I'm, I'm sorry, not by five times, by 5%. And then, you know, only double that 5% by rule of 72, which would, it would take, um, it would take 14.4 years to double it over there. So, mm -hmm. and he said, right. boy, I, he said I, boy, I never thought about that before. And that's all we're trying to do is get people to think. So, um, that having control and use is something. The other thing is if you're an established business owner, um, do you want to actively invest in cash flowing assets? So the, that is a, that is kind of a hybrid plan. We've talked about that before. Um, I was actually playing golf this past weekend with somebody and he said, what do you do? And I said, well, I actually am a cash flow strategist for E3 Consultants Group. And he said, well, what does that mean? I said, well, oh, I didn't know. He said, does that mean you're an uh, investment advisor? I said, well, that's what people would call me. He said, but I said, what I try to do is get business owners to, if they don't want to invest in their business, to invest in a cash flowing assets, at least do that. And he goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, do you have a, a, a simple IRA? And he said, yes. And I said, so you're hoping that's going to appreciate in value. But if you want to use that money, in your business right now, you can't get to it because you'd have to, You even if you could by the third party administrator rules, you have to pay a penalty. But what you could do is take that money, pay the taxes now, put it into a cash flowing asset such as real estate, uh, whether it's residential, commercial, or you could put it into an alternative investment such as an oil and gas program or a REIT or a, a business lending program, and it will actually kick off cash flow to you now while you're in the business. And he said, well, I didn't know those things, things were available to people. And, and what we're trying to get out to business, mm -hmm. oh, is yeah. the things that are available to you. So that's, that's another thing we want to talk about is the difference between passive investing here, Mr. Uh, investment advisor, take my money, go grow it with somebody else or active investing, invested in the cash flowing assets that you actually have some control over to say, hey, yeah, I want to do this real estate. I want to do this gas program. I want to do this lending program. And you actually get cash flow off of that. So that's another uh, thing that we want to emphasize uh, when you're deciding to use tax deferral. And then the final thing, Absolutely. Finally, Rachel, is the thing we talk about all the time is 
is retiring even a good idea? Right. <laughs> and, uh, Right. And I know we brought that up a little bit earlier today, but, and we're going to do a future podcast on this exact idea. But if you're in a business and you are growing this business, do you necessarily need to retire? Could you potentially stay in that business, but take less active role and have that create cash flow? I mean, we're working to build self sustaining businesses that you don't need to retire from. That's exactly right. And that, that is a concept that, once again, we're inundated by the big wirehouses to that talks about retirement, retirement. We're inundated by the government that talks about retirement, retire. We got a retirement crisis. We have a retirement crisis. We don't have enough. We don't have enough money uh, in retirement plans. Well, you have to wonder why they're saying that. Are they getting they are they getting money from lobby groups that are trying to get people to put money into retirement plans? Um, it's, 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 a, it's a valid question. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just an interesting situation altogether. But I mean, the government wants and needs money as well. So why wouldn't you put money into something where they're going to get a bigger amount of tax in the future? I mean, they don't save the money once they get it, they're going to go ahead and spend it. And so they're planning for their future as well with the tax income that's going to be from these qualified plans as well into the future. So I hope that today you've heard our heart through this podcast. We certainly want to be respectful to every person who is at every different situation in their personal life, every different decision point along their financial journey. But you probably, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in a position where you want as much control as possible. You want as much cash flow as possible, and you're working to build time and money freedom. And what we want to do is be able to give you clarity and freedom to make financial decisions, not just going with the flow or doing what somebody else told you to do or what you've always done, but really to think deeply, to think about your thinking in your financial life and really make decisions that are congruent with your ultimate goals and where you ultimately want to go. And really that comes down to really living your best financial life. I mean, you could talk about having living the best version of you in your life. You want your finances to mirror that. You want your finances to be the best version of your finances that you possibly can have, not just going through the motions. And so that's what our objective is today. And so we hope that you have more confidence and peace knowing that you're making the right decision in whether to defer taxes or not. And if you would like more clarity, this is absolutely something that you can hop on a call with us, with our advisor team, and you can get that strategy call by going to themoneyadvantage.com. We also help with tax, stra- I'm sorry, with we also help with cash flow strategies where you can find ways to keep and control more of your money, privatized banking and alternative investments, as Bruce was talking about earlier, to generate that cash flow and accelerate your path to time and money freedom. We'll also have the link for that call that you can book in the show notes. And we encourage you to reach out because we would love to help you get into a better financial position with more cash flow and control. So again, in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. 
Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on the moneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.